Today's uh, scripture passage comes from John chapter 17, verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to the preaching of his word and to your hearing of the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Well, as we begin, because I don't want to forget, um, we have three very, very special groups of people with us today. Not that you're all not special in one way or another, but we have three in particular who are very, very special. This morning, we so pray for, pray for them. All right, now let's pray for the Lord's blessing to be on our time in his word. Father, we come before you as always, needy and dependent. Sometimes we recognize our neediness and our dependence more than than other times, but the reality of our, our absolute need for you to come and to bless your word to us always remains the same. And Father, together we want to acknowledge that dependency and that neediness, and also we want to rejoice in the sufficiency that is ours in the name of your, in the name of your beloved Son. Father, we thank you for your great love with which you've loved us not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we've earned, but simply because of your graciousness and your compassionate nature that has chosen to love us in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done to secure the love of God for sinners like us. We rejoice in the fact that you've taken our sins away. You've given us righteousness in their place. Lord, you've taken out that heart of stone. You've given us a a heart of flesh that is alive and beating and, and even throbbing after glory with you. Lord, I pray this morning you would help us grow in the grace that you've already begun to work into our lives as believers, or those who are not believers, who are among us, who have not yet been united to Christ, we pray that your spirit would be working mightily today, or we pray that your spirit would take the word and drill it down into the hearts and minds of those who have not yet come to know you, that you would draw them out of their sin, awaken them from darkness and deadness and sin, and bring them to new life in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those of us whom you have done that great work in, in our hearts. We pray that you would continue that work this morning. Lord, continue pressing the word of Christ in upon our hearts. And may the word of your grace give us strength and encouragement this morning to keep pressing after you and to keep living for the glory of our King. 
Lord, we want to grow in grace, and we pray for wisdom to do that this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we are in a, a small series right now that we've titled Growing in Grace. And, um, excuse me. Growing in Grace. We're seeking to understand how we can obey the command of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where we're commanded by the Holy Spirit to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we do that? As we pointed out last week, in many ways, in fact, in, in, in all from all perspectives, this is a work that only God can accomplish in us. Hebrews 6.3, we will press on to maturity in Christ if God permits us to press on to maturity. And if he does not permit us, then we will not be growing in the grace of Christ and we will not be, coming, we will not be becoming mature. And yet here in this verse, we have the command, the responsibility that's being placed upon us to make sure that we are doing something, that we are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if it's something that only God can do in us, and yet we're being commanded to do it, how do we think about that? What do we do to make sure that we're growing in the grace of Christ? And as we tried to point out last week at the beginning of the series, the only way we can obey this command to grow in grace is by using the means of grace that God has appointed for our growth. There are pathways that God has established for us to walk in. There are channels in which God's grace will flow freely upon his people. And if we are going to grow in grace and obey this command, then we have to make sure that we are walking in those pathways. We have to make sure that we're standing in the channel where the river of grace flows abundantly. As Peter says in 2 Peter 1, in practicing the means of grace, we will uh, be making our calling and our election sure, and in this way, entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied to us. If you wanted that reference again in 2 Peter 1, somewhere around verse 10. Now, we mentioned last week some of the means of grace, some of the, the, these pathways and channels that God has established for our growth, one of them being prayer, the other being the, the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. That is a means of grace that God has appointed for the growth of his people. We're also, uh, we mentioned corporate worship as a means of grace, the gathering together of the saints in an assembly to worship God and offer praise to his name. We mentioned obedience as a means of grace. We mentioned walking in faith and repentance as means of grace, consciously, actively seeking to pursue a life of faith-filled dependence on the Lord and a life of bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. We mentioned another means of walking in godly fear, something that is sorely and severely lacking in our day. Not only in understanding what that means, but in actually living it out. 
very foreign to us. You don't, you, don't, you don't hear people described very often anymore as a man who, or a woman who fears God. And yet we find that language all over the scriptures, particularly in the book of Acts. So what does it mean to walk in godly fear? Well, that's a means of grace we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Mention another one, doing evangelism. And as the team that went out yesterday to reach out to the neighborhood and do evangelism will testify, doing evangelism is a great means of grace. It, it encourages your heart and the truth. It encourages your soul whenever you get to share the gospel of glory with someone else and then see the light, the light switch kind of kick on and the light bulb come on as you're, as you're talking with them. There were testimonies of that yesterday, and I rejoice in that. That's a means of grace. And then today, we're going to be looking at the primary means of grace, the one that kind of undergirds all of them and is involved in every single one of the others, which is the means of grace in God's Word. God's Word as a means of grace. Now, the plan today, and I don't really think we're going to get through this, but the plan today is to try to give you a sense of the central place that God's Word holds in growing believers up in Christ. And then secondly, at the end of today, if we can get to it by God's grace, um, I want to give seven ways that we can place ourselves under the Word as a means of grace so that we might grow up into maturity in Christ. And so one, we're going to be trying to look at the centrality of God's word as a means of grace in the life and the lives of Christ's people. And then second, we're hopefully going to look at seven ways that we can submit ourselves to that means of grace in order to grow. Now, before we get to that, though, there were some issues that came up last week in my interactions with people that I want to make sure I clarify this morning. And this might take a minute. This might be why we don't get through the sermon today, but I think it's worth it. And uh, I just could not cut these out. So please be patient and stay with me. I said last week that as believers, we ought to be experiencing God's grace through the means of grace. We ought to be experiencing God's grace as we submit ourselves to and seek to use the means of grace. And if we are using the means of grace and never experiencing God's grace growing in our lives, then we have to ask ourselves, are we truly united to the vine? Because if I'm, if I'm seeking to abide in Christ by using the means of grace, if I'm really seeking to, to sink my roots down into Christ so that I would be built up in Him, and yet I'm never finding the strength or the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart to actually build me up in Christ, then all I'm really maybe doing, possibly, let me qualify it, could be unique circumstances. I don't want to cast unnecessary doubt upon anyone's salvation here. But it could possibly be that you're never truly united to the vine in the first place. And you're seeking to use the means of grace to grow in grace that you've never actually received. And so all you're doing is, is using something that God has established to grow his people up in the faith in order to try and earn something or gain something from God. Even if you're not consciously using it as a tit-for-tat thing. Like, Lord, I did this, now you owe me that. 
If you're not truly united to Christ the vine, then these means of grace will never be a means in God's hands of growing you up in, grace of, in the grace of Christ. We should, as believers, be experiencing grace in the means of grace. However, I want to reemphasize something. I want to reemphasize that we are not talking about emotionalism when we are talking about experiencing God's grace. I'm not talking about mere excitement and just ecstatic joy. I mean, I think that that can accompany growth and grace. That can accompany experiencing God's grace in your life. But that is not definitional of what it means to have the grace of Christ growing in your life. It's not emotionalism. Jonathan Edwards would call that passions. Those things are passions. Whenever you have this fluttering excitement that gets your heart beating really fast and you get swept up in emotionalism and then all of a sudden it starts to dissipate, right? The mind's not really engaged with the truth. The affections of the heart are not being brought to life by understanding the truth more clearly. You're just caught up in excitement. And then that wanes. And you don't feel the same way anymore. And you're wondering, what happened to my walk with the Lord? I don't feel like I'm walking with the Lord anymore the way I used to. How do I understand that? Well, if you're defining your walk with the Lord by emotionalism, then you're really going to have a problem in living the Christian life because it's going to be filled with those ebbs and flows and ups and downs in your emotions. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about experiencing God's grace. What we're talking about, when we're talking about experiencing God's grace, is what Edwards would refer to as a rise in your spiritual affections. That your spiritual affections for God are being increased and are being refined and are being matured. That there is a rise in our inclinations to trust in Christ that we are more inclined to run to him and to lean upon him and to entrust ourselves to him as the result of using the means of grace. That we find in ourselves greater inclination to love Christ and to lay down our lives in service of him and in service of his people. That we, like Paul, would count it our great joy to fill up the afflictions of Christ in our bodies if that meant we could bring others to faith in Christ. We have this rise in our, in our desires and our yearnings to be near Christ and to live for Him. It means that we have a rise in our inclination to hold fast to God in the name of Christ. In essence, what we mean by experiencing God's grace is that we begin to see that in our lives, what we find described as markers of true Christianity in the scriptures are becoming realized and actualized in increasing measure in our own lives. Does that make sense? I think you can, you can think of this in relation to your wives or to your husbands. If your relationship and if your marriage is built upon emotionalism, ultimately your marriage is going to fail. And that's why we have such a, a high divorce rate in our day. Everything is built upon experience and emotionalism and infatuation and lust. 
and it's not built upon a real solid covenant and commitment that two people are making to one another. That their affections that are being drawn towards one another are not lustful desires. They're not carnal and fleshly motives. They're genuine, that there's a genuine sense of attachment to this other person. That God really has called me as a man to lay my life down for this woman. And in my heart, I sense that calling growing more and more as time goes on. Well, that's kind of what it's like whenever we're walking with the Lord. When we're in covenant with the Lord, it's not about emotionalism and excitement and how I feel about what Christ is doing in my life right now. It's about Christ's faithfulness to me. It's about, it's about his promise that he will never leave nor forsake me. It's about his blood that covers me, cleanses me from all my sin. It's about the robe of perfect righteousness that he has wrapped around me so that one day he will present me spotless and without blemish before the Father in heaven. It's about removing all the causes that, that Jesus could be ashamed of me over. It's about removing them all so that one day he can confess my name before the Father and all the holy angels without any sense of shame over me. It's about understanding those truths and knowing in my heart that they're real and true and feeling myself drawn to him. Not in an emotional sense, but like my soul is yearning to attach itself more tightly and intimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about experiencing God's grace, that I'm growing in connection to the Lord. I don't know if that helps. If it doesn't help anyone, please, please come see me. I don't think we're making it through today. I have three more. So, Number two, and this is related to the first one. No one asked about this, but I'm in writing my clarification for the first one, this came to mind. So maybe someone has this question in mind. Using the means of grace will not always feel exciting. Using the means of grace will not always feel exciting. Just because you are using the means that God has appointed for your growth faithfully and using them in faith, right? That's the key. That's the key. That's what God blesses whenever you use the means of grace. He blesses faith in his son. It's not your doing. It's not your efforts. It's not your drawing near to him in and of yourself. It's your drawing near to him in the name of Jesus. When you honor his son, the father is pleased to pour out the riches of his grace upon you to magnify the glory of his son by growing you in his grace. Now, just because you're using the means faithfully and even using them in faith, it doesn't mean that you're always going to feel like you're on a spiritual high as you seek to pursue the Lord. There will be dry times in your walk with Christ. And as a Christian, you're going to have to learn how to walk with Christ faithfully through those dry times. Just like in a marriage. There are dry times in marriage, as you will testify to. Those of you who are married, there are dry times in marriage. And you have to learn how to navigate through waters that at times can seem really shallow. 
You have to learn how to trust in one another and how to rely upon one another and know that the other person has made a commitment to you. You've made your commitment to that other person and you are both in this together for better or for worse. That's the vow we made. There will be dry times as we walk with Christ. There will be times when we feel distance from God or with God or what some might even refer to as an absence of God's presence in our lives. The psalmist knew what that was all about. All those cries, Lord, David crying in Psalm 51, take not thy spirit from me. Lord, let the light of your face shine upon me. What does he say in Psalm 31? Uh, or maybe it's 32. In my pride, I said, my mountain shall never be moved. All he said was, Lord, you hid your face from me, and I was utterly dismayed. The hiding of the face. The psalmist knew what that was like. That is a normal part of walking with God in this fallen world. And it's, and it's part of life in this fallen world with God that we long to come to an end. There is a day coming where glory will never fade, as we just sang about there's a day coming when that separation and that sense of, of absence will be entirely removed and we will worship God in the, face of, in the presence of His glory. We will see Him face to face, as it says in Revelation 22. But until that day, the, the normal pattern will be experiencing times of dryness in our walk with the Lord. But I want to encourage you, though that is normal... Just because that is true, I want to encourage you not to accept that sense of distance with the Lord as the norm. Though you will experience times of dryness with the Lord, I want to encourage you and exhort you not to accept that as the norm. Understand that it's normal to struggle, but don't accept that as the normal pattern of your life. Take up the means of grace and pursue the God of grace until you know his nearness once again. This, this is one element of, of spirituality, Christian spirituality that we in America have lost. We don't know what it means to tarry with the Lord and to wait upon him. We don't know what it means to wait in prayer for hours, for days, for months, for years. Saying, Lord, I'm, I'm here again. I'm here again, Lord, and I'm praying. I'm begging you, please, break down this wall in my life. I'm not going to let this go until you remove it. We don't know what it's like to pray like that. We don't know what it's like to take up the means of fasting Long periods of fasting, beseeching the Lord, seeking to make our voice heard on high, showing God that we are serious about growing in our walk with Him. We don't know what that's like. And that's why our spirituality is so shallow. You remember in Song of Solomon, the groom came knocking on the door of his bride one night do you remember that do you remember that happening if you don't just say yes if you don't remember it well no, don't lie <laughs> don't lie if you don't remember that go read Song of Solomon this afternoon 
The groom came knocking on the door one night, and his bride had already gotten herself ready for bed. She already put on her nightgown. She was in bed. And when the groom came knocking at the door, saying, my, my darling, open to me, she says, how can I get up? I've, I've already, I'm already in bed. I've already gotten ready for bed. I'm not, how can I get up and, and open the door to you now? So she stays there. And all of a sudden, she comes to her senses. And she, it's almost like she's saying, wait a minute, what am I doing? And she gets up and she goes to the door. And what does she find? Her groom is gone. He's gone. Now, at that point, did she go lay back down and accept his absence as just kind of the norm? Well, this is just the way it's going to be. He'll come back when he wants to come back. Until then, I'm just going to go back to sleep, lay back down, do my own thing. Is that what she did? Those of you who know the story, what happened? She went out in the streets. She started seeking after the one whom her soul loved. She went out to anyone she could find. And she said, have you seen him? Have you seen him? She wasn't content to accept his absence in her life. Now I'm using this allegorically to picture our relationship with the Lord. You should not be content with the absence of Christ's presence in your life. You should not be content to say, Lord, I'm not sensing the light of your countenance shining upon me. That is a blessing that the Aaronic priesthood would pray over the people after they made atonement for them. That's something that they sought for. That's something that they longed for. Do we not have a greater high priest than Aaron? Don't we have a greater reason to pray for that blessing to be upon our lives? Lord, be gracious to me. Lift up the light of your countenance upon me. Be near to me. We have far greater encouragement in Christ to pray that prayer to the Lord and expect a positive answer. We should not accept the absence of the Lord's countenance shining upon us as the norm. When I thought of that, I... Well, let me finish with, with the woman in, in the Song of Solomon. Do you, you remember where she found him? This is wonderful. This is really sweet. Do you remember where the bride in Song of Solomon found her groom? He was in the garden. He was in their garden. I don't know, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you are, are feeling or get away from that word because of how we talked about it earlier. I don't know if, if you are growing in your sense of attachment and commitment and, and your sense of the nearness of the Lord or not. I don't know if you feel far from him or if you feel very near to him. But I want you to know that if you are feeling far from him, you are going to find him in your garden with him. If I can use that by analogy, you're going to find him by pursuing him according to the means of grace. How much are you tending your garden with the Lord, with the means of grace? How much are you cultivating your relationship and faithfulness and love and accountability and sense of forgiveness and desire for the Lord? How much are you cultivating that through the means of grace? You should not accept his, a sense of his absence as the norm. And sometimes in our walk with the Lord, it's, 
it's almost as if we're walking in, in, a, in a wadi. Anybody know what that is, a wadi? It's a, it's a riverbed that dries up, right? So in the Middle East, when they have rainy seasons, there are these channels that are there almost all year. They're, I mean, they're always there, but almost all year round, they're dry, right? There's no water there. But when the rainy season comes and all that water gets dumped upon the land, where does that water flow? It flows through that riverbed. It flows through the wadi, right? Now, much of your time in your walk with the Lord may seem dry as if you're using the means of grace and you're standing out in the middle of a wadi. There should be water here, but there's not. Well, let me encourage you. If you're experiencing that, that does not mean you're an unbeliever. It does not mean that you're lost. But it does mean that you are to tarry right there in that riverbed until the Lord's rains come. And that wadi is filled again with the spiritual waters of the grace of Jesus Christ. So, if you want to attach a verse to that, Isaiah 40, verses 30 through 31. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. Those who wait upon the Lord. How do we wait upon the Lord? Have you ever thought that? you ever asked yourself that? If the promise of God's nearness and strength and encouragement comes from waiting upon the Lord, what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Well, I would argue that waiting upon the Lord means that you are walking in the paths where God wants you to wait for him. And you are using, walking down those paths until God fills you with new strength. In other words, you're using the means of grace. You're waiting upon the Lord. You're tarrying with him until he strengthens your heart. All right, so that's number two. Number three. The means of grace come to us sealed with a promise. The means of grace come to us sealed with a promise. I'm not sure that there's any passage that shows this more clearly than 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. One of you brought this up to me last week. And uh, I said, no, I need to, I need to bring that out. That's, that's good. The means of grace come to us sealed with a promise. In 2 Chronicles 15, verse 2, the Lord sent through the prophet Azariah an encouraging word to Asa and to Benjamin and all Judah. And he said to them, listen, the Lord is with you when you are with him. Now pay attention to this. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. Now the ESV says, he will be found by you. NASB, ESV, both of them are, are adequate translations of the Hebrew here. They're both trying to capture what's happening here. What's going on here is, he will let you is a, is a passive verb. It's something that is being allowed to be experienced. So when you seek the Lord, when you wait upon him, when you are seeking to be with him, then the Lord's promise to you is, I will let you find me. 
Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that sweet to your soul that you are not seeking the Lord in some hopeless endeavor, trying to grasp on to the things of glory and bring them down to you against God's willingness? You're not doing that. When you are drawing near to the Lord through the means of grace, you're drawing near to a God who is ready and willing to pour out upon you His grace. Does anything show us that more clearly than sending His own Son? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, not because you were worthy of Him. For while we were yet enemies, what did God do? What did Christ do when we were still enemies of His? He died for us. Do you need any greater encouragement to know that when you bend your knee in prayer and you bow your heart in the name of Jesus, that God is listening to you and He's going to receive you? Because of Jesus. Do you need any greater encouragement than that? God swears, even under the old covenant, I'm with you when you're with me. And if you seek me, I'll let you find me. You know the new covenant equivalent of that verse? You know where that's found? James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will what? He will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. That's a promise. Now, there's a way to go about doing that. As this verse begins to, to talk about, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Use the means of repentance and turn to the Lord. But there's still a promise there that we must hold on to. And so, using the means of grace comes with a promise. Now, we're going to end on this one. This is going to be shorter today. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm apologizing for being longer. But this is going to be shorter today. Number four, if you have your Bible, please open to Acts chapter 20. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please open the one in the pew in front, in front of you, the back of the pew. Acts chapter 20. Verse 32. You guys know the setting. Paul is in Miletus and he has called the Ephesian elders to himself. This is going to be the last time he sees them. And so he's giving them parting exhortations. He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit has set you as shepherds over those whom God has purchased with his own blood, the blood of his own, the blood of his begotten son, only begotten son. I charge you, Paul is saying here, be faithful in shepherding Christ's people. And as he comes to the end, he says in verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is the focus of using the means of grace in your life? How do you understand God? Let me, let me ask it this way. 
how do you understand God? How do you view God? How do you, how do you approach God when you come to him in prayer? What, what are you thinking about God whenever you come to his word? How are you drawing near to him? I, I'm not asking it very clearly. When you draw near to God, are you confident in God's readiness and willingness to accept you? This is a fourth thing that we always need to keep in mind when we are seeking to use the means of grace. These means are exactly what they're titled. They are means of grace. Meaning, you're never drawing near to God at any time as a believer in Christ where God is not directed towards you in a gracious and compassionate and loving disposition. In the name of Jesus Christ, it says here, we draw near to God in light of what we know about the word of his grace. Particularly, you can transfer this over to what we were going to talk about today when we were talking about the word of God as a means of grace. The reason why God's word is a means of grace is because it is a word that is about his grace. It is always clarifying, refining, perfecting, uh, purifying our understanding of what it means for God to be gracious to us. It is the word of his grace. And whenever we draw near to God using the means of grace, we are drawing near to a God of grace. And we have to believe that about him if those means are going to be used to grow us up in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's hard to, it's hard to get a close here. Let me try. Do you really believe in the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not do you know the grace of God is true in your mind. Not, not do you know did God send his son to die for sinners. Not, not do you know was Jesus righteous for sinners. Not do you know was Jesus raised from the dead? But do you, do you trust in those realities as expressions of God's kindness and compassion and grace towards you? Because no one is ever saved simply by knowing the facts about Jesus. No one. You're not saved because you were born into a Christian home and you were raised being taught about Jesus your whole life. You're not saved because you had an experience. You're not saved because you were baptized. You're not saved because you read God's word. You're not even saved because you pray. If you are saved, if you are in Christ Jesus, it is because you have come to the point where you have closed with Christ. That you as an individual, you have bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and you have said, you are my Lord, you are my King, and I own you as my only Savior. You close with him in faith. I wonder, have you done that? Have you drawn near to the God of grace in the name of Jesus Christ? And have you owned his grace by faith? If you've done that as a believer, are you continuing to walk in that way? 
I don't want to steal any thunder, but Lauren said he might have a sermon to preach someday. From Colossians 2.6, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ? Was it not in repentance and faith in his goodness and his willingness to accept us? Well, then how do we walk in him then? Paul says in Colossians 2.6, you walk in him the same way you started walking in him. You walk in him the same way you came to him. Faith, repentance, trust, holding fast to him according to the word of his grace. So I encourage you, believer, keep walking in grace. Know that when you draw near to God, you are drawing near to a God of grace, a God who loves you and is compassionate towards you. Unbeliever, if you don't know this God of grace, come to him. Come to this God of grace in the name of Christ. And close out your dealings with him. The Lord swears, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come to him and call upon him. And receive salvation in his name. Now let's come to the table and let's glory and worship God in light of this expression of his great grace towards us. And may you go in the peace of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.